wondering if in the last year you have either watched a movie with a superhero in it, or you read a superhero comic book, or you watched a superhero TV show, or you've been entertained at all by a story about a superhero. All right, where are my people at? Yes. You see, the superhero industry started with the introduction of the Superman in a 1938 action comics number one. And since then, the superhero genre has taken off like fire around the world. Now it is a multi-billion dollar industry. And one of those original Superman comic books sold a few years ago for $2.16 million. Why? Why do these imaginary characters inspire such a faithful following? Well, let me ask you another question. How many of you have seen the movie The Avengers? Now, there's more than one of these movies, but you know, the one with Hulk and Thor and Captain America and Iron Man and the Black Widow. Just one of those Avengers movies earned more than a billion dollars. And when you walked out of that theater, your blood was pumping, right? You were energized. There's something within all of us that identifies with superheroes, a person that cannot be controlled or contained by earthly powers. There's something in that storyline that calls out to us, something that tells us, that whispers to us, this is you. Now, I was listening to a comedian talking about the differences between men and women. And he was saying the primary difference between men and women is that James Bond and Batman and Superman are not just action heroes. To men, they are options. If you are a high school student or a college student, and when they ask you, what's your major going to be? Or, you know, they take those uh, strength tests, those identifying tests, the personality tests and surveys that are supposed to help you identify what sort of career field you should pursue. Has anyone ever gotten superhero as the top possibility? As any possibility? But you see, here's the thing. Heroes are who we were called to be. Can I get an amen this morning? When you pursue God, when you follow after God and you say to him, not my will, but your will be done, and you ask him, God, what is your will for my life? His number one option on his occupation survey for you is superhero. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if I was a superhero, then why does the laundry not fold itself? If I'm a superhero, how come it took me 15 minutes to get out of bed this morning, right? But you are a superhero. You are an infinite, eternal, dangerous, and powerful creation with a destiny that cannot be duplicated. You don't believe me? Well, I can see I'm going to have to sort of back this up with the Word of God. So everyone, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 5. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He 
obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Moving forward to verse 32, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Father, help us to become all that you have purposed for us to be in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you may be seated. And maybe you were, you know, reading over those things and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, you said I was a superhero, but now you're just reading a laundry list of ancient people. They have nothing to do with me. But you see, you're deceived if you read this book and you just think it's a historical document. This is alive. It is current. This is not just a detailed list of people or an account of things that happened in the past. This is you. This is me. These are our people. This is our team, our heritage. And at one point, It was Abraham and Noah and David and Sarah who were out on the field and casting down the works of darkness. They were performing extraordinary tasks of faith that awed and inspired the world around them. But you know what? Now they're sitting down and they're eating popcorn and they're watching your movie. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, avengers who came before us. And so this morning... I'll be Colonel Nick Fury, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and this building is the helicarrier. And Oh, wait, you didn't know it, but you're on board, and that makes you a part of the assembly of heroes. Can I get an amen this morning? The apostle Peter said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And Jesus said in John 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. And the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Abraham Lincoln said, surely God would not have created such a being as man 
with an ability to grasp the infinite to exist only for a day? No, no. Man was made for immortality. And C.S. Lewis once said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. You and I are much more than just water and cells and DNA and blood. We were created by God. We are eternal. And this body is just the interface that we use to do the works that can only be done on earth. But our body is finite. It will break down and go away. But our spirit, our soul, that's who we really are. And it is eternal. It is indestructible. And yes, I see we're all here this morning. Thor, good to see you this morning. Batman, I see you there in the back. Again, this whole antisocial thing's getting old, Batman. Wonder Woman, good to see you here, sister. We're all here together. But we are eternal and powerful. And where does this power come from? Hebrews 11 gives away the secret to the power of the great heroes of the Bible. Before every single one of them, is outlined two words, by faith. It was by faith. They were able to do all of those awesome and amazing things. By faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God. By faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. By faith, Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. By faith that even Sarah was able to have a child By faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently, the people of Israel will leave Egypt. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The Bible gives away the secret recipe to the superhero serum. It's faith. Many people get faith wrong because they see faith the same as belief. You know, you hear people say, well, you know, I believe that when we die, we're all going to go to heaven, and well, I believe this or that or so and so. Faith is not just belief. It's not just a mental assent to an idea. Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we now see did not come from anything that is seen. Faith shows. It displays. It is observable evidence of something that is unseen. By its very nature... Faith is always coupled with action. Can I get an amen in church this morning? The apostle James writes in chapter 2, Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You see, there's a reason why they're called Action heroes. Has anyone here enjoyed a comic book about a person who just sits around and thinks about doing great things but does nothing? No. Without action, your faith is meaningless. In fact, it's not faith at all. You say you believe God is your provider, but your actions say that you believe your security is in your bank account 
or in your 401k. You say that you believe God has a good plan for your life, but your actions say, I'm afraid. If if I don't marry the first person that shows interest in me, then God's going to leave me to be alone and miserable, and my chance for joy will have left with them. That's not faith. That's unbelief. Your power comes from faith that expresses itself in your actions. Noah's faith caused him to do what? To do something, right? To build an ark of of safety, to obey the voice of God, to live out his obedience as a witness to a society that had gone over the edge of the cliff morally and spiritually. Galatians chapter 5 says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. And the Greek wording in that verse, energio, shows us that love is the fuel. It's the energy that gets the faith engine running and moving and expressing itself. God's love in your life is the golden sunlight that turns Clark Kent into Superman. It's Popeye's can of spinach. It is the irradiated spider bite that makes Peter Parker into the amazing Spider-Man. The super soldier serum that changes a scrawny Steve Rogers into a Captain America. Let God's love pour into you and change you forever. God's love will make you capable of possessing peace when you should not have it. Empower you to forgive those people who don't deserve it and make a faith in you to achieve what seems impossible or improbable. In fact, God's love can do more for you than just give you abilities beyond your own. It actually changes you. You see, that spider bite alone, it didn't change Peter Parker into a caring person. And the super serum didn't change Steve Rogers into a patriot who believed in liberty and justice. No, those guys, they received power that merely amplified who they already were and made them more effective. But you see, God's love not only gives you resources beyond your own, it actually changes you into the person God intends you to be and manifests the heroic character and qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. Come on, give, give God praise this morning. Words are cheap. Actions count. You see, the world doesn't care what you have to say. Not really. And when you say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, well, for the most part, you could get a response ranging from, so what, to outright rejection or mockery, right? But people are watching what you do. And when the enemy comes to attack your life, comes in to attack your family, comes in to attack your career, comes in to attack your home like a flood, people are watching to see what it is that your faith can do. Do you know what's happening here? Do we? You need men in these buildings. There are people inside, and they're going to be running right into the line of fire. You take them through the basement or through the subway. You keep them off the streets. I need a perimeter as far back as 39th. Why did I take orders from you? I 
need men in those buildings. Lead the people down and away from the streets. We got it. We're going to set up a perimeter all the way down to 39th Street. You get it now, don't you? You see, what Captain America said didn't mean anything to that police officer. His star-spangled outfit, his big muscles, his baby blue eyes, right? Meaningless until that officer watched him effortlessly take down two alien monsters with nothing but a shield and his muscles, right? And then they're like, okay, we're listening to this guy. And in the same way, the world is watching to see how you respond to alien invasions in your life. You didn't see Captain America crying, oh, Black Widow, help, they're all around me, they're everywhere, or oh, Mr. Hulk, I don't know what to do. No, he took the shield that he had in his hand that he practiced with, that he wore, and he used it because he knew who he was and the power that he had and exactly what to do with it. Many of you were here on Memorial Day weekend when Chris Peranto spoke at a Grateful Nation Remembers, and he said, there is a kind of beauty in battle. And it's in this hall of heroes in Hebrews that we catch a glimpse of that beautiful faith and the courage in all of these battles. And you see that in this movie, when a team of people with extraordinary abilities come together and use their giftings to serve each other and to serve the people that they're trying to protect, and it's a war but it's beautiful. And in the Avengers movie, the tactic of the false god, Loki, is to break up the unity of the Avengers by getting them to bicker and to fight with each other instead of the real enemy. Watch this. We had to come up with something. A nuclear deterrent, because that always calms everything right down. Remind me again how you made your fortune, Stark. I'm sure if he still made weapons, Stark would be neck deep. Wait, wait, hold on. How is this now about me? I'm sorry, isn't everything? I thought humans were more evolved than this. Excuse me, did we come to your planet and blow stuff you up? Understand you treat your champions with such mistrust. You're not my boys really what that naive? That Shield so monitors potential threats. I'm Captain America's on threat one. We all are. You're concerned, Doctor. You're on that list? You let me are you take above or below me? Stark's a fucking guy. You think one more guy. I feel threatened. I feel threatened. Show some respect. If I need to put you down, then I will. Well, I understand me now. You see, by, by turning the heroes against each other, the plans of evil are set free to run amok unchallenged and unhindered. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul warns us against in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he says, gently instruct those who oppose truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. When we cut each other up with our words, when we undermine or take on grudges or offenses against our own spiritual family, we play right into the plans of Satan. There is a strength and a power that comes as we gather together. Only together can we encourage and help each other. Only together can we form the living church, the body of Jesus Christ in this world. Only together can we teach and exhort and correct and confess and share and grow in faith. Faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to assemble 
because that's when we spark and inspire one another to greater things. Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, right? If there's no contact, there's no sharpening. Without the friction, without the annoyance, without the inconvenience of relationship, there is no sharpening. We make each other better together. You see, the problem is that the enemy, Loki, in this movie, he knows he can't win if they are united against him. So he subtly tries to divide them and turn them against each other to divide and conquer. And that is why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is time for the Avengers to assemble. I said it's time for Avengers to assemble. And some of you are like, yeah, but my church is flawed. My pastor is flawed. The music pastor has no idea what he's doing. And those songs have way too many words. The Sunday school teacher's crazy. Look, every single one of the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 was flawed. And guess what? So are you. They made bad decisions. They messed up. They had weaknesses. Guess what? You got them too. And so do the heroes in this movie. But assembling together, working together for a common mission under a common commander. And then they become unstoppable. Then we will become unstoppable. And in the movie, that's illustrated in a scene where they finally take down Loki, and he's, he's defeated and helpless, and he's staring up into the faces of a unified team and all of the angry looks on their faces, and he knows he's done. He can't win. You see, we are gathered for a purpose, to engage in a war, not against each other, not against a, a political group or activists, but against the powers of darkness, which have a claim on all that is sinful. And that's why Paul says, when we look at the heroes that have come before, we must cast aside our sin and get involved. We've got to smash the sin within. You see, it's the tactic of the enemy to get you to look at your brother and to look at your sister and find their flaws and to find their weaknesses and to find excuses to not want to serve with that person, to not want to be under that person's leadership, because if he can get you out of the fold, he will take you down. You know, I have never, ever seen a Christian get offended and leave the body of Christ and become a stronger, more powerful servant of our King. I've never seen that. That's when their power becomes diminished and their faith is watered down and they become anchorless and drifting. You know what? Each one of us has a preset has tendencies, weaknesses, things that are tempting for you that might not be for the person sitting right next to you. And some of those things are obvious. You know, if you're getting intoxicated or you're taking substances or if you have food issues or if you're cutting or if you just run from one relationship into the next, guess what? You need help. 
But what is also true is that there are less obvious ones that, that might be easier to hide, but they're just as ugly and just as dangerous like gossip and complaining and a critical negative tongue, a lustful, out-of-control imagination and greedy ambition or laziness or pride. Guess what? You need help too. And we need to stop being so easily manipulated by the real enemy. And we need to get our eyes off of things that are wrong with people in the body of Christ or even people out in the world. Look, blame and fault-finding are evidence of the sin nature inside of us. You see, that was the very first thing that Adam did when God came to confront him in the garden. Blame others. You see, political figures and politicians, they are not your enemy. Congress is not your enemy The cops are not your enemy. Activist groups are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And you were given authority to take him down. You know, some people pray and pray and pray and pray some more to have God come in and and take the enemy out. But it's time that you drew your sword and you shouted, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. If God is for me, who can be against me? Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. We don't have to pray for God to come and take him out. He gave you the power to take him out. Use that power that you've been so generously given and take the enemy down. And don't be ignorant of his tactics. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is urging the church to forgive a man who hurt them. And that man was wrong, but Paul encouraged them to forgive him anyway, saying in verses 10 and 11, when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. This Bible is a playbook. It is the strategy that's more powerful than anything the Pentagon has come up with. It's more thorough than a CIA profile, and it spells out exactly what the enemy's next play is and how he's going to come against you and how he will try to manipulate you, how he will try to divide you. So if the enemy is working so hard at getting you to divide, what does that tell you about the power of unity? How scared is he that we're going to finally unite and turn all of our firepower and all of our efforts into destroying his works? So we need to assemble together. Do you have weaknesses? Yes, you do. Do I have weaknesses? Yes, I do. You can ask Kirsten. How much time we got this morning? (laughs) We're going to be here for a while, right? Every superhero story begins with something called a backstory. Have you heard about that? It's where you find out about the past of the superhero. How did Peter Parker get to be the amazing Spider-Man? How did, how did Dr. Banner become the Incredible Hulk? You see, all of these characters have a backstory, and the backstories aren't pretty. There is an event a catalyst that propels them into that life of a superhero. And usually, it's a tragic event. Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed in front of him. Peter getting bitten by a radioactive spider. Maybe maybe you're an orphan from a destroyed planet, right? 
but it was when these superheroes surrender their backstory and take up the armor of the superhero, and they say, I'm not going to let my backstory define my new story. You see, in the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, there are men and there are women. There are the elderly and there are the barren and there are the crippled. Comic book authors are successful because they just borrow from what's true. You see, Tony Stark has shrapnel in his heart, and he requires an implanted prosthetic in his chest to keep him from dying. And Professor Xavier is a superhero in a wheelchair. The Daredevil is a blind superhero. Batman, one of the most popular superheroes, has no superpowers at all. But Tony Stark, another hero with no superpowers, He uses cutting-edge technology that keeps him alive to power his Iron Man suit. And Professor Xavier uses his mind to battle evil. And the Daredevil uses all of his other senses to stop the bad guys. And Bruce Wayne uses all of his great wealth and has devoted his entire life to stopping crime. Stop focusing on what you don't have and use what you do. Amen. Don't put more faith in your limitations than in the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or even think. And don't look at the other heroes on the team and start saying, well, you know, I can't fly like them, so I'm not going. Or I can't climb walls or shoot webs like that one. I I guess I'll just stay home because, you know, I don't have what they have. Look, God never asks you to give what you don't have. He asked Moses for a stick, and he saved a nation out of slavery. He gave a a boy gave his lunch to Jesus, and he fed 5,000 people with it. It's not about what you don't have. So stop the excuses and stop trying to copy somebody else because that's sin and that's unbelief. And because, frankly, with that attitude, you are basically saying the power of God isn't great enough to overcome my weakness. Like somehow our pathetic weaknesses have God sort of stressing out like, oh, no, oh, myself, how am I going to do that now? And in the Bible, we see that these heroes of faith They have a gritty backstory. Abraham grew up in a pagan, devil-worshipping country. Rahab was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. I have an ugly backstory. And guess what? You do too. Before we surrendered to Christ, every single one of us in here were enemies of God. And it's a dark, painful backstory. But when you surrendered the pen of your life to the author and finisher of our faith, everything changed. And here's the beautiful part. You think he erases the backstory like it never existed, but that's wrong. He doesn't erase the backstory in your past. He uses it as a catalyst for his glory and his power. You see, if your backstory is one that you were abused or you were taken advantage of or maybe you were abandoned by someone or you got addicted and you surrender that to the hands of God, he will take it and now suddenly you have the ability and the power to speak truth to people who are living that backstory right now in a way that nobody else can talk to them because now you have a superpower in that area. You have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that others might not have. Make 
Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Because in chapter 12, Paul says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured. And what was the joy that Jesus was thinking about that got him through the agony and the suffering of his crucifixion? Jesus says in John chapter 17, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. And then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Jesus shows us that God wastes nothing in our lives. And even those things that seem very bad, those things that happen that are unfair, those things that happen to us that are undeserved and wrong. Because Jesus wants fellowship with those who understand suffering. Because there are things that we can only learn about the healing and the compassion and the grace of God and things that we only learn about ourselves through trials and through pain. There are conversations that God wants to have with you, but that you will only understand when you have endured. Jesus endured. At the cross, he authored your faith. And he showed you the great depth of his love, taking away all of your sin and giving you all of his righteousness. And he rose up from death to show us all that nothing of this world can defeat our faith. He rose, and every hero in this room will do the very same thing. We will bring freedom to everyone who is bound. We will heal all who have been wounded. We will speak truth to those who are deceived, and we will confront every work of darkness that enslaves the minds of men. And like Jesus, our faith requires surrender. It requires a sacrifice. But sacrifice is seen when we follow the command of Jesus to seek first the kingdom. A hero doesn't become a hero simply by beating up a bunch of bad guys and riding off into the sunset with a pretty girl. No, sacrifice is required to make that journey from a mediocre life into one that is filled with greatness. Sacrifice, by definition, is described as giving up something highly valued for the purpose of greater importance. Every so many years, millions of people around the world cheer on Olympic athletes when they stand on those podiums to receive their medals. But you know, countless weeks and months and hours were spent making unnoticed sacrifices to become the very best. They gave up what most people would consider a normal life, what most people would consider a normal diet or a normal schedule in order to push themselves to peak performance. They said no to a lot of things so that one day they could say yes to the Olympic Games. And we must learn to say the divine no to a lot of things and speak it over and over again, not just to sin and to temptation, but to good things, good activities, so that we can spiritually hone ourselves like Spartan warriors to become the heroes that Christ is calling us to be in our time. There's a song that we used to sing in church when I was a kid. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. 
And some people wrongly think that love is just a a weak and powerless emotion. No, love is sacrifice. It is dangerous love. It is infinite love. It is indestructible love. And those are the descriptors for you as a child of God. I don't think you understand what you've started. Letting the Avengers loose on this world. They're dangerous. They surely are. And the whole world knows it. Every world knows it. You see, Colonel Nick Fury set the Avengers loose on the world, and he was telling those people in the shadows behind the scene, now the world knows it. Now every world knows it. And that is true about you. You were made to be dangerous. You were made to be indestructible and powerful and infinite. But you have to decide who will hold the pen to your story. Will you give it to Jesus? And will you let faith write the pages of your story? Will you be an action hero or an inaction zero? I want all my Avengers in this room to stand up on your feet. Come on, all my X-Men, all my Teen Titans, all my heroes, rise up. Let's close our eyes in the presence of our King this morning. Listen, your first call because you are being called, is to give the authorship of your life over to Jesus Christ. Let him begin your story and let him take all of your past and all of your weaknesses and turn them into your greatest strengths by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let him take away all of your sin and give you all of his righteousness. If you would like to do that this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you this morning that your story will begin today anew.